you have a righteous donkey and a wicked donkey arguing in a field, but from a distance, the farmer just sees two jackasses. <laughs> you know, so. Let's talk a little crossover between sports and culture and politics with our friend Josh Buckhalter. He is the host of the Triple Zero podcast. He does a lot of beat writing. Josh, how are you, my friend? I'm good. How about yourself? Uh, not too bad at all. Excited to talk a little sports, and I'd like to say I could get away from culture and politics, but the fact of the matter is, and you cover sports, there, there just doesn't really seem to be as any such thing anymore, especially with a lot of the current headlines we're seeing, is there? Well, you know what? To be honest with you, there never really was. Um, you can go back to the 30s with right. Jesse Owens at the Olympics. And, you know, sports and politics have intertwined for forever. So I always find that argument to be a little bit, I don't know, maybe short-sighted, but almost disingenuous because we know, that, you know, it's, it's in history. We, we celebrate it, you know, the, 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 um, the Olympics with Jesse Owens in front of Hitler. Like, that was a, that's a big thing in, in your social studies class. So when people say that, I'm like, ah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Why is that? Is it the current? It, I, I understand we have media saturation now with social media. Social media has changed how we take in sports and politics, but it's also it's just how we communicate now. People have way more information than they've ever had before. That's really permeated into sports where it's, you know, you can have sports 20, you know, we. I'm of the age you grew up ESPN and you get sports center every morning. And that was kind of your sports for the day. You can have sports 24 hours a day and it really changes how you just intake sports and intake everything else. Doesn't it? Yeah, no. And you nailed it. Um, with the, the technology today, information at your fingertips at all times. So if you want to know it, you can find out whenever. So it's not even a matter of, you know, 24 seven, it's on demand. And we fill a lot of our time, you know, my, my brother's a truck driver and he always tells me how he sees everybody on their phones while they're driving. So we're always taking this in and like it or not, you're being influenced by what you see. And so when you hear enough people say that, you know, now we're having it blended so much more than it used to be, some part of you holds on to that. And then at some point it comes back out and you just regurgitate it. And it's just not the case. You know what I mean? And part of it is because we hear so many different viewpoints from everybody nowadays that the the original message gets lost so i guess people find it from different people different perspectives and they think that it's something new when really they're batting around the same idea half-heartedly because no one's really having that discussion anymore that the, at the the heart of the matter you know we find that you know i come from the writing world into media of doing culture and politics uh you come kind of at a beat writer kind of a perspective of sports how much of this is, you know, it, in media and in sports media, it's just like culture and politics media. There's a lot of aggregation. There's a lot of regurgitation. Uh, what, what's some of the things you do to try to cut through? Because it does seem like a lot of people just say the same thing over and over again, especially if we get an issue in sports that kind of crosses over into the wider culture. How do you go about it? How do you kind of dig into like, okay, here's how I'm going to get past the noise and get to the actual issue involved because there is so much of that aggregation and just repeating of this reporter reporting on what this reporter said of what this reporter said of what this reporter said and this sort of thing. So I, I will not write about something that I'm, I have not 
like witnessed. If I didn't watch the game, I'm not going to tell you what happened in the game. Um, to that end, what a concept, right? I, it's it's novel. Um, to that end, though, <laughs> I, I'm also not going to. Uh, how do I put it? I also try to think about how I'm going to talk about it ahead of time. But then when, when everything's concluded, when, when there's that flood of, 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 of stories after the game, I'm not going to touch those. I'm not even going to look at them until afterwards. Cause I don't want my thoughts to be changed by them. I don't want to, I don't want to be influenced by what they say after the fact, it's always fun to go back and read them and see what they said. That was similar to what I was thinking. You know, confirmation is always, you know, it's a drug basically, but I'm never going into it trying to find out what somebody's cause, just cause I don't want to be persuaded in that way because we're getting, listen, as a as a as a as a whole, despite the print being a dying medium, people are really good at it. So you read yeah. stuff that's designed to make you feel a certain way. That's what my job is to make you feel a certain type of way or or to influence you to see things through my my perspective. So if I did that before I wrote my story, there's no doubt that in some way, shape, or form, even if it's just some minor detail, it's gonna be influenced by what they say. It happens just by scrolling through Twitter. So it's unavoidable if you're gonna read something in depth. And and we know with sports like politics or culture or whatever else you want to do, uh, affirmation bias is a big thing, especially when you start dealing with sports fans because they're very invested in their teams, they're invested in their stars. Um, when you sit down to write or when you sit down to do a podcast, the the audience that we have in sports medium and media in general now is you're dealing with folks that, you know, they have that freedom of information that they're only going to intake what they want to intake and they can find what they want to hear. How does that affect you when you go to present a story or when you go to present an issue from a sports perspective? Because it's on everybody's mind because we do it too. We're humans, even though we're the ones kind of behind the mics, we do it too. It's, it's very easy to just feed yourself what you want to hear. How do you approach the fact that your audience is always like that now with the way social media is? So the old trick, you know, you don't bear the lead. Right. You come out with the juiciest part first so that they want to read the rest of it. You give them a, a, just enough to make sure that they have to get to the body. Once you get to the body, you're probably going to finish. My goal is to get you to keep on going. And then when we get to the bottom, we have uh, for, for my, the, the beat that I cover for the Hawks. Um, every article has a link to the next article in that little box to click the link. I want to put the best caption that's going to get you to click that link. So I'm writing it to make you do that. I'm trying not to be influenced myself, but I'm definitely approaching it with the, with the intent of not necessarily trying to uh, uh, change your mind, but open it more to what I'm saying, if you don't already agree. Now, I do try to know what, or, or no, no, not know, but guess, have an understanding of what the fan base might want to hear or how they might want to see something presented because there's oftentimes where I got to say something that's negative despite the fact that the team is doing well overall. And they're like, oh, why are you focused on that? But you got to talk about down the road, this this guy getting into foul trouble might get in trouble, You know, might, might cause the team problems. Uh, uh, this injury here wasn't big against this team, but it will be against that team. But you can't tell them that coming off a big win unless you present it in a way like, hey, this was great. And then you, in, inside of that, you bury, you're not bury, but you, you kind of let them know, watch out for this though. You know, look out for these trends yeah. as well. So it's, it's, it's a, a delicate dance, but... To say that I didn't go into it trying to entice you to want to read more would be just uh, would be a lie flat out, to be honest with you. Yeah. What, what's the old joke of, you know, whether a, a beat reporter or a like a college small town reporter is any good or not, is whether he's willing to actually criticize the local team? Yes. Yes. Um, <laughs> that sort of thing. Um, there, there's an integrity part to it. But th- do you think 
sport, even though we're a part of it, like, you know, I was just joking a minute ago, like, you know, when I was growing up, it was you watched ESPN in the morning and that was your sports for the day. Now you get to Do we really have a good handle on just how fast the social media has changed how we consume something like sports? I know it has in politics. We can see that real clear. We know it does in culture because you see how the influencer market, that's, that's its own industry now, just being an influence on social media. Have we appreciated how much that has changed? It's it's not just changing consuming sports. It's changing the business model of sports. It's changing how the athletes react because now we, we've we seen it with certain ones. They, they get very online and it affects their performance. I don't think we really have a handle on just how much this has changed the last few years, have we? No, and I think you see it a lot with um, sort of the fake stories that get ran with a lot of times on social media. You know, back in the day, back in my day, um, yeah. you had Mad Magazine, you got Onion Now, you know, satire, satirical print things that you knew were fake. You knew they were there for, for entertainment purposes. Now, you'll have uh, Twitter handles, Facebook pages and profiles and things of that nature that share fake information as their uh, as their their main objective. That's what they're doing. They're just there to do that. Not to make you laugh. Not to, they're, they're there to deceive you. Like, there is a... a uh, satirical site for a, a coach in the NCAA, or I'm sorry, a basketball. It's, it's NBA, a coach parody Twitter handle. Won't say the name, um, but it's constantly talking about quote unquote inside information. And I've seen the stories get picked up three, four times in the past two months, and then have to be just you know let go. And that's one of the funniest things is to see how t- how many times, and we see this in in general news, how many times a story gets picked up, but then just gets thrown by the wayside because it comes to find out it wasn't what it was presented as in the first place. Um, it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's dangerous because one of the things that I heard about social media is we were never supposed to know everybody's thoughts like this, right? <laughs> like it's, it's just, it's just yeah. not natural for yeah. us to have this much connectivity with everybody. And the danger part is, like you said, everybody can have the information, but then everybody also has an opinion and it's as, as tyrannical and backwards thinking as that sounds. Without proper mediation, without the proper group settings for everybody to kind of, you know, rein each other in, that one thought can run wild in a dark corner and become January 6th. Like, everyone, like you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, it, 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 it spirals out of control now because the internet is so expansive. There's no way to, to, to keep the bad things from multiplying in the dark corner. You just can't. It's the same thing yeah. in the sports world. When the bad story cop pops out, it's gone before it can be retracted because people want to see salacious headlines as it is. Or in case we just saw in the NFL, old news becomes new news. We had the John Gruden thing that came out of the email investigation. Oddly enough, it was they were actually going after the Washington football team and uh, everybody's favorite owner, Dan Snyder, and Gruden kind of got caught up in it. And of course, we could go down the rabbit hole of, why his stuff got out and nobody else's did. That's another topic for another day, but that's a pretty good example of that stuff all happened, you know, 2010, this stuff is decades old in some cases. And all of a sudden it's the leading story for the biggest sport in America for the better part of a week cost him his job, which probably was fair with what was in those emails. Um, That's just one of those examples. Like that was an email from 10, 12 years ago. And look how that exploded on everybody. Yeah. I think, when you when you talk about the amount of attention that it got, I think that's when you can't necessarily make it a separate conversation as to why his got out in terms of anybody else. I think those two things are very connected. Um, yeah, because fair. the NFL is king, 
right? They dominate TV ratings. They dominate the narrative when they, whenever anything is happening. This is no different. Um, and yeah. so for something, like you said, decades old, to me, the bigger thing is it's not necessarily that Gruden said or that he got fired. You use a company email to spew things like that. Man, it, you know, consequences are come with actions. That's that's how it goes. But it's decades old. And for me and to hear all the stories about players saying that they don't feel that he is that way and all the things that have happened, you know, since then, I would wager a guess that he's not the only one. So why is he getting so much attention instead of everybody? Why are we doing more of a deep dive? Then why are you stopping there? If it's such a big deal, this should be a league wide problem or a league wide uh, uh, investigation for more stuff like this. If that's if that was your intent here. Clearly, to me, the intent was to deflect attention from what's going on with Snyder because he's been in battle for since he got the team, basically. And now with the name change and people want him to sell all all together, you know, we know the NFL is very much a a billionaire boys club, a tight knit group. And so it would not surprise me one bit to see a sacrificial lamb come out of that situation. Again, though, I always just come back to what is everybody else saying? Yeah. Um, and the thing to to get a let's let's get above that and look down for just a second. The thing is, and and again, I don't know that people fully realize it because we just love to watch the games on Sundays. But the NFL is so mad. This isn't just a sport anymore. This is the most popular TV show on four different networks every single week. Yep. This is billions and billions of dollars. This is a multinational company now. This is a this is an entertainment company this this is almost transcended just sports how big the nfl is and now when you look at the the demographics the nfl are pushing out where you know it's like 48 52 49 51 male female uh viewership fan base now mm-hmm. you talk about the now we've got the gambling legalized and expanded the nfl is so much bigger than just a sport now it's a cultural behemoth so the idea that they don't need to house clean on known issues going back years and years and years, and we know, you know, all the different things that the NFL has fought over. This is a lot bigger than just a sport. This is a big chunk of culture now, isn't it? Exactly. That's what I'm saying. It, like you said, it's decade. It's a decade old. <laughs> you know what I mean? And he was getting responses back. Yeah. This is permeated throughout the league. That This is not like you said, it's, it's, this is a uh, an issue that speaks to a larger problem. And yes. You just saw just what was it last week? I believe it was the NFL agreed to end race based uh, cognitive testing for 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 medical coverage after playing careers are done. They were they were uh, assuming that black players began at a lower cognitive ability level to start off when they did their testing. So they would rarely get awarded money uh, when when those decisions were being made. That kind of stuff. Was not only at that level, but it was also at the coaching level. So you're getting it from the top, right? From the decision, the ultimate decision makers. And you're getting it from the guys who are having direct impact on the players' lives and careers. That's not a problem. No. And and the problem is, and just looking at it from somebody who's, you know, I think about when I was in management and I'm a supervisor, when you're the leader, the fact that that was something that was a rule, something like that, that means it was so ingrained that it nobody even bothered to stop and think about it. 
that's really when you start talking about ingrained problems that are just so ingrained, people don't even notice them anymore. That's the level that that stuff has gotten to when it gets like that, because it's not like people didn't, you know, it's like the emails, like you're talking about, it's not like people didn't know, like right. these, these buildings are tight knit group, like who, who and the first thing that threw a flag in my mind was like, well, wait a minute, who did the email go? Like the first right. reporting question would be like, who was the email to? Who was courtesy copy? What did and, they say back? You know, well, those of us that have worked in the corporate, you know, blind copy is your, I never sent an email to anybody that mattered that wasn't blind copy to somebody because I need my Pearl Harbor mm-hmm. file to cover my own tail. <laughs> Let, let's just be real here. Like who, where did all that, but it, but then when you deal with something like that, you deal with a Dan Snyder, which there's some really ugly stuff in the Washington football team, the feds are uh, not just racial that, stuff, but the cheerleading, the fans are involved. There's the cheerleading stuff where they're talking about the cheerleaders are uh, alleging abuse of just some really horrific stuff really um now we found out this past week that congress wants to get involved and i'm kind of rolling my eyes at that because anytime you have a congressional hearing you've just you've gone into the realm of kabuki well uh, at least we know that they're and i don't think anything good's going to come out of that at least we know that they're ahead, focused sorry. at least we know that they're focused on the big issues we know that they're 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 locked in right. and they're buckling down and getting things done for the country I mean, I remember, but, you know, I remember sitting through the steroid hearings when the baseball thing and we had the fun stuff like, you know, Mark McGuire talking about God given ability and <laughs> Sammy Sosa forgetting to speak English in front of the senator English. and this sort like, like it was just a miracle, but, but like, like, but it goes to the problem of this is how big the NFL is, is that as soon as this pops off now, Congress wants to get in on it because like we said, it starts this off culture, politics, sports, it all goes together. It's a lot of everything's about engagement now and sports gets people engaged in a big hurry. When you start talking about the government getting involved in a congressional hearing and this Washington football team mess, how's that land with you? Because I, I see that as just going further and further from, like we just said, basic journalism questions, who sent an email, how many people knew about the email, how many people in other organizations use the same kind of language and we're going to go in this performative direction instead. That takes, in my mind, that takes us farther from getting to the root cause problem and fixing it than getting closer. Yes. Yeah. It's, it's at this point, it's probably out of control. Frankenstein's monster. Um, They've let it go unchecked for quite some time, despite constant uh, complaints of such things happening. There was an entire debacle. <laughs> the entire Colin Kaepernick saga happened and they just ended race-based cognitive testing last week. <laughs> like if that doesn't tell you that there's a, there's a disconnect last between, week, last week. <laughs> so yeah. if that is 21, they finally figured out that, you know, <laughs> and he hasn't played in what three yeah. years now. So it, it, there's, there's a clear disconnect between what people are Longer. saying and what they're, they're taking in from that, from that complaint. And that is a fundamental problem, not just for them, but for the country. So again, the NFL is not just about football. It is not just even entertainment. No. It is at this point about the way of life in this country because we've kind of ingrained it into our day to day and vice versa. Well, the NFL did that on purpose. Mm-hmm. The NFL, you know, when you're going to open this, when you're going to turn it into a patriotic thing, and there's nothing wrong with that. That's fine. I'm, I'm all, you know, I love my country. I love my patriotism. But that was the marketing scheme for the last 10, 15 years. So when you start ingraining all that stuff, you're opening the door to be like, okay, we're going to star spangle everything that that's opened the door for a lot of this stuff. But part of being an American is I love my country, but I can say, hey, we've got some stuff that we haven't dealt with and we haven't cleaned up and we haven't really even addressed or, 
you know, just we haven't even discussed a lot of it for a lot of folks. So when they went down that road, when you have a majority minority league, when it comes to at least the players, this stuff was inevitably going to come up and those two things were going to crash. It was inevitable, wasn't it? Well, this goes back to the social media part of it. So you spent all that time being reaffirmed in your beliefs, right? No matter what they are. You're, you're only because your feed is designed to show you stuff that you are going to agree with or sharply disagree with to keep you sharply disagreeing with it. It's made yep. you're going to stay you're going to see what you are supposed to see. So when you finally go out into the open world and you're confronted with conflicting viewpoints, then you see what we have now. We've gotten away from from respect, respectfully disagreeing. Right. And one of the things <laughs> I remember being a kid. And and my mom used to always tell me, my, my fiance says it to me now. We're going to have to agree to disagree. I hate it. I hated it so much. But it's so true yeah. because that's how that's the only way you can get through life that's going to be full of conflicts. But you have to see, we have to do this together. That's a, that's the, that's the thing that people don't seem to want to admit here. We got to get through this together. So I, I've never understood why a simple disagreement on a viewpoint, not necessarily on an action, but even just a viewpoint would lead us to be so ugly to each other but i mean it's been happening for forever again none of this is new it's just amplified no. because of the the way media is how large the nfl is because of social media and we use it as an avatar because it's easier to run it through that filter than do anything where we ourselves would have to actually sit and look and and start loading some of the blame on our own shoulders or on our ancestors shoulders and talking about it it's easier to just throw it at them them rich athletes over there on tv because it doesn't hurt me any and i can turn the tv off whenever i want to and walk away mm-hmm. so it's really kind of a, a socially cowardice way to do it and it's it when you're a spectator sport it just there's a real tendency to spectate on everything but representative government in the united states of america was not designed to be a spectator sport no no it and- wasn't no, and it, we've let it become that over the years, and then we try to exercise our right to have an, in, in, a say in that in the public square, and that's not the place for it. The public square is to debate the idea, and then you take it to the vote. But we want to kind of litigate things after the fact when they don't come out our way, no matter what it is. Again, it's funny because anybody could take that and, and think that it goes one side or the other, but it really does apply to everyone in every kind of situation. There's there's a danger. In having this, like I said, having the the internet bring you something that you agree with immediately without you even having to ask, right? You talk about a, about a product and it's in your Facebook feed. So, yeah. like this kind of stuff is you got to be really smart about when you are taking in this stuff. What are you retaining and what? How are you using it? Period. Yeah, there was a there was a ancillary item that came out of the Gruden thing that. That speaks directly to that, how we get our information. Um, Adam Schefter caught a couple of rounds on social media and elsewhere uh, because it came out that he was running story. I think running story is a little harsh, and I, I think Schefter kind of got kicked in the head for something that's widespread, but you're a sports journalist, so you can explain it to me. Sports journalism, and we have this same problem in culture and politics that I cover, um, like the White House press corps. Politics has really become uh, – you know, access journalism. Mm-hmm. Sports has become access journalism. So I kind of was like, okay, you can you can throw rocks at Shefty all day about he had to get you the know, story. taking care of his source, but but you're the ones demanding all this inside info and you want to be the first one on Twitter and you want to be the first one on your discussion board with all this inside info. That's how you get it. But there's a there's goes back to what you just said. That that access journalism and how that system works 
that's shaping a lot of this discourse of how people are treating you. They're going to war over information that has to be, you know, Assad's just to get it out in the first place. So it's not like they got the whole story anyway. Exactly. And it's funny because he called him Mr. Editor. And we all assumed that, you know, he was taking bits and pieces out of the story from that, or people assumed that he was taking bits and pieces out of the story for that to protect him. I, I, I'm a writer. I promise you that is not always a That's term of endearment. Rarely, right. <laughs> so my first thought on that, my first thought on that was like, okay, well, we know that that's not the case because look at all the stories that have come out about them since then. Like, clearly that did not help. <laughs> on top of that, though, let's not act like we don't know how these guys are. These are high-profile figures. If you don't, if you say that you've never schmoozed and hobnobbed with somebody to get access, then you probably are not very far in life. That's just how it goes. Yep. And again, Schefter has done a lot of work. I'm not going to say that I would ever have put Mr. Editor in an email. That probably is a bit a step too far above and beyond. Um, but again, what he said, running them past and make sure that it was accurate isn't uncommon. And no. it's not like he ran cover. He didn't. I, I just don't see how there was any benefit to him doing it. Like if 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 all the stuff had come out about Bruce Allen now, and then we found that email from Schefter, then it would be different. But because we know that it's been bad and it's been bad for a long time around Bruce Allen, that's just kind of like, yeah, no, all right. And as you see, though, that story's kind of also blown a little bit over because people are just like, yeah, whatever. Bad choice of words, but probably not as <laughs> definitely not as bad as what else is in those emails. No, no. But I, I thought it was instructive, though, on how even the most plugged in and engaged people sometimes don't understand you know it's like your water supply like people talk about you know bad water i'm from west virginia let me tell you about some bad water problems and environmental issues but it's like people don't understand the water's bad until they start drinking it's like you don't understand you're using all this information and you're going to the mad on social media over it you need to understand the process how you get that information Mm -hmm. before you start trying to you know go to war with your friends and family over it i just i thought it was an instructive moment though of just watching people like wow, a lot of these people really don't have any idea what they're talking about, frankly. So to tie it in with sports, it's a got, it's the gotcha culture. Just like every big play, you see the yeah. players pointing and celebrating. We want that in every single moment now. It, I don't know if, I, if maybe you want to uh, consider instant gratification, but I just think it's all just gotcha. We want to have the one-upsmanship. We want to be the the big dog in the moment. And it's, it's eroding society because we're supposed to be looking out for each other, but we just kind of want to get over on each other. Yeah. Um, One other thing about the NFL before we move off it, though, how much has the spread and legalization and diversification and gambling changed the NFL? Because this a lot of people thought this would be a rocket pack to the NFL popularity. I was one of them. I was like, this this is going to do what it's done for soccer in Europe, where you can literally sit in your seat and bet on the game while it's going on. Uh, How much has the gambling stuff changed it? Because we're starting to get the numbers now. Uh, you're getting more diverse people watching. You're getting longer engagement in games that don't really matter because now you got to watch the end of the game. It's it's almost like what fantasy football did in the early days. Now it's you know times twenty because everybody's got money on it. Uh, this again is changing how sports is covered. It's changing how people consume it, and it's definitely changing the engagement from what we're seeing on the numbers out of it, aren't it? Yeah, no, and you nailed it by saying it's changing the diversity of who's watching, and that's where you see the the explosion in the uh, influence of the NFL, right? It's not just sports fans who are kind of most sports fans are probably they are who they are, but a lot of people who are casual sports fans are going to see stuff and maybe they might take something different away from it. So 
They see the protests that were happening, and they thought that was continuing for forever when the protests largely died down rather quickly. But that story still kept on because it was a story and somebody wanted to read it. Um, yeah. I think it's the same thing. It's 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 weird, man. The NFL's grown so fast. Um, and I just feel like we're at a Frankenstein's monster part where whatever comes out of this all, you kind of have to just try to be better going forward because I don't know how you rectify stuff that's gonna be decades in the past. It's gonna be years of heartache. How they how do they make it up to those families that they denied money to for that cognitive testing? How do you make that up to them? That's that's oh. that's billions of dollars that you owe to those people. There's oh, no there's no watch, getting You watch like the documentaries like on Webster and these guys who just literally lost their minds and just mm-hmm. decayed both mentally and physically and, and just the horrific horror stories because they didn't they didn't know back then. And I don't I don't know that you could claim they didn't know because you know we're we're plugged in and this is still like the last 10 years or so that everybody started really understanding what head injuries do. Mm-hmm. Um I I don't know how everybody gets bowed up when they hear words like reparation or retribution, but I don't know how you have that much money just optically and morally, if nothing else, like at some point they're just going to have to write a really big check to a whole lot of people. Aren't they? You would think so. Uh, but they've done a good job of not doing that so far. <laughs> so I wouldn't put it beyond their ability to keep. I that. mean, I really don't know why they did like <laughs> the money they got. I don't know why they didn't just go, okay, here's 600 million and make it go away. Like just for their own good, not having to talk about it, you think they just write a go away check or something. I, would ask I really you, don't understand the obstinance of it other than maybe they're worried there's more there underneath it. Maybe that, there, which you is go. Possible. there you go. So they were, they talked about the yeah. settlement with Kaepernick and Eric Reed and how they, why they settled, why those who settled, why the NFL was so willing to settle. And the large part of why people felt the NFL was willing to settle was discovery. They didn't want any of this kind of stuff coming out and the scope, the just think of how much this is about to unleash and then multiply it times 32. Cause it was going to be for every team. Like, so they didn't want to have that happen. And that to me is just reinforced with what I was saying earlier of with this Gruden stuff, that's not even tip of the iceberg. That is the glimmer of the iceberg off in the distance, right? Because there is so much more there to this story and Gruden for better or for worse is the scapegoat right now. Yeah. I, I don't think Gruden's like the, the final boss of this by any means. I think he's just, (laughs) he's, Not to excuse any of his behavior because, you know, the, look, let's be real clear. If he, any company in America, if he does that exact same thing, he's fired Gone. that day. On Gone. The spot mm-hmm. with it, like immediately you're so, fired. So it's not real excusing quick, though, what he's doing at real all. Real quick, though, to your point yeah, about that, to your point about that, he didn't get fired. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> he, he's been around That's for forever. Point, <laughs> this is another example when we had, you know, we're dealing with these abuse stories or dealing with corruption stories. You know, what's the first thing that happens after the dam burst? Oh, everybody knew, you know, well, everybody knew they just didn't. <laughs> We've been like, telling them they wouldn't th- listen. This is, this is definitely an everybody, this is an everybody new thing. And then you put the racial component in it where it's, you know, almost all white owners, it's almost mostly white coaches, and then predominantly, you know, majority minority players, those issues, you, you just got a cauldron waiting to boil over at any given time. And the more you try to cover it up, I think the more it's going to bubble. Because now the power, the players have power. They're looking at the NBA. Mm-hmm. They're looking at these other sports going, well, wait a minute. We we got power now, too. We got social media. We got, you know, a union. We got all this other. And by the way, there's a, you know, the union vote for leaderships up to that was no small part to this either. So 
let's not be children here. There's a reason that the the emails about Demarius Smith specifically mm-hmm. got out, but let's that's another topic for another day. But this this stuff all goes together. I think the players in the NFL, there's a culture shift where football was always the ultimate coach sport. And that's I think that's gone now because these players have power. They've got money. Now you're going to have the college kids coming in with money that, that mm-hmm. you know, that especially the stars with the NFT stuff. There's a big culture shift going, and the the coaching and executive levels are going to be slow to catch up with it. And I think it's going to burn a lot of guys because that old that old school mentality just ain't going to fly in corporate NFL America that we talked about. Where, you know, again, this ain't a sport anymore. This is the number one TV show. This is a brand. That stuff just ain't going to fly. And when it gets put out in the light, uh, you're going to get burned every single time now. Yeah, and you know what? I equate it. Now you said you want to switch real quick. So let me just, real quick. I'll tell you the story. Like. Or I, I equate no, it to, to the Bears and and Matt Nagy, right? One of the things that they say about Matt Nagy, his saving grace, is that he hasn't lost a locker room. He hasn't lost a locker room. Well, this year, you've seen uh, two guys, two or three guys get kicked out of games. You had a player post his fine for being late on uh, on social media. You've had players liking posts about the offense being inept and things of that nature, things that, that wouldn't necessarily uh, scream control over the locker room. My point to that was, as these young guys come in, they are further and further away from that one successful season in 2018. And they have less and less yeah. of a built-in respect for him as a leader. And so you see the younger guys losing because they don't care because they weren't there for that. And it's the same thing in the NFL as a whole. It's like you said, these young guys come in with money and they see the players ahead of them have say, while the current NFL players see the NBA guys have say, that's definitely going to have an impact. And it's just, it's not a... Um, like you said, not the old days anymore. And as we know, older people are slower to change, if at all. Right. Uh, we mentioned the NBA and how the, the NFL players are kind of a little envious of the, the, the star power the NBA gets. Every NBA offseason, the season started this, this past week as we're recording this, uh, every offseason the NBA seems to be very soap opera driven because it is a personality-based league. Uh, the main character of this offseason was undoubtedly Kyrie Irving. Uh, he, he's still not playing, which I'm fine with, by the way, because my boy Javon Carter's getting some run. Uh, good West Virginia point guard. Just really give works. him a little shout out because he's not playing real well, but he at least got to play. But anyway, Kyrie Irving was the, you know, the main character here, and it got picked up by a lot of people. I know you've been talking about it on your podcast. I, I kind of feel bad. I hate to say I feel bad for him because he's doing this on purpose. So, you know, he's a grown man. He's got to make his decision. I really don't think he understands the implications of what he's doing and how bad actors on the outside are using the things he does. What's your read on it? You know, obviously he's standing for what he thinks. He's he's entitled to do that. He's got the money to do it. He's leaving money on the table. I think this gets resolved in the next couple of days, but we'll see what happens. What's your read on this? Because it certainly did blow up across sports and got into the culture debate in a big way. So I I would say that I don't even think that he is worried about what other people's are, people are going to take from his message. Um, I think no. he feels that all he can do is give it, and then it happens. Whatever happens with it from there happens. Um, he went on Instagram Live to try to clear things up not that long ago. Um, after it got picked up by numerous government officials. Uh, trying to recruit him to come to their state and then this, that, and the third. And one of the things that he tried to make the clearest was that he was not an anti-vaxxer and that he's never been an anti-vaxxer. And the problem with what he was going through 
in my eyes, again, my opinion only, was that he was saying this and making some very salient points, but then he was following it up, or then you have to juxtapose that with his his liking and sharing of misinformation across social media platforms. Right. Um, and so, again, when those are the only two images that you have of him sharing those and then him not getting the vax, that's going to form your opinion one way. But if you heard him speak, you could hear a guy who was really just trying to get it uh, an, a clearer understanding of it because in his mind, it all happened really fast. Um, I think that the people who took advantage or who latched onto it, we know that they only are in it for their own interest because those are the same. Those are typically the shut up and dribble people. Um, yeah, exactly. And I laugh because, again, like you said, we can't act like you can't inter- intertwine sports and politics because they always are. Um, and uh, for Kyrie, and let me say that I I don't have any problem with what he's doing. You want to take that stance? That's fine. As the NBA has said, they don't have a problem with it. It's his issue is with the state of New York. So there are some details here. The the there's one. Um, somebody was talking about him calling himself, comparing himself to to Muhammad Ali. He never did. There's a great video no. from a former uh, Duke point guard, Jay Williams, on this, talking about how the, the comment came from Stefan Marbury in the IG live post. But that was the headline. Kyrie thinks he's the new Ali. And it's the, he's never said that. Just like he's never said that he was anti-vax or that he wouldn't end up. He's not getting it now. There's there's that 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 quick nature of social media being our new news platform and people wanting to be confirmed in their beliefs. That's yeah. that's how you get this now, because in all honesty, Kyrie is one of a handful of players who was unvaccinated. The other night yeah. there was a game and he couldn't play, but the visiting team had a player who was unvaccinated and they could play. This is all sorts of backwards yeah. and it's not getting resolved because it's so polarized. I think it's even more than just affirmation. I think we're just avataring everything. Living through the others. So instead of just, yeah. So they just, when Kyrie jumps up, now he's automatically the avatar for the anti-vax folks. And he's the avatar for, for people that are against the anti-vax folks. Like they just grab the, they just grab the loudest voice and just start chasing that monster instead of whatever the issue is. And, and, you know, again, he's, he's got his money. He's, he, it's not like he's going to miss a meal here or anything. He can make his own decisions, but I think these, I think it goes to, you know, we, we can rail about the media and I do that some too. But at the end of the day, the media is reacting to what we want them to watch because they're 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 trying to feed us what we want, and we want this. And people want to just avatar everything and chase that instead of discussing the issues. And I think I think that's the hole that the Kyrie Irving situation fell into, where I don't think it matters what he says on IG mm-hmm. now because he's just he's he's a symbol now mm-hmm. to these folks. They're not going to listen either which way. At well, least that's my opinion. Kyrie was one of the loudest voices during the bubble of of with the whole. Their their wokeness campaign that people hated so much. He was one of the top guys then too. How 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 much difference a couple of years makes? Like it's not it's it's really funny how short our memories are when we hear stuff that we like. And um, like you said, it wouldn't matter what he said. It doesn't matter what he says now. I just think that this is another case. People's lives are boring, man. <laughs> you know we need that, we need that drama. Well, mine's not. I stay busy, but these. <laughs> <laughs> I, it's like our trolls that show up on my uh, commenting section every morning. I got to go in and delete their VPN. They set up that morning, which takes me one minute. It took them 20. I don't know why every morning, <laughs> same people, same three or four things. I'm like, don't you people have lives? I don't, but 
I guess that goes back to the thing I was just talking about avataring. This is how people want to feel like they're a part of the wider world. And I can sit back with some perspective and maybe maturity or life experience and go, no, you're just, you know, yeah, you feel like you're accomplishing something, but you're just gerbil on the wheel, wearing yourself out and not going anywhere. But a lot of folks, this, I think this is their life. Now they just live vicariously through this stuff. And like you were saying earlier, they can get, they can get spoon fed what they want and nothing else. And even though we have media platforms like you and me do, we can write, we can do when somebody just wants to be spoon fed, nothing else. I don't know. There's a whole lot we can do for them other than just put the truth out and hope they find their way back. Cause once you get into that hole, I don't, I don't know as media creators, there's a whole lot we can do about it. Is there? No. And that's what the internet, that's it. That's all it is. The only time that you are back and forth. Well, I'm going to say not, not the only time, but the majority of the time, if you're having a back and forth, it's a disagreement with somebody that's not going to change their viewpoint anyway. And yeah, that like it's a rabbit hole, man, and it'll it'll drain you, and it, it it festers and it grows, and then you see it permeate throughout the rest of society. It's really sad because it should be a great way to share different viewpoints and have them in a in a neutral space, right, where you can actually have it be out there. But everything that you say gets weaponized. I've had articles that have had a mistake, and somebody attacked me and and went all in, and I was like, man. Sorry. Like, what else do you want me to say? <laughs> like, I, my bad. I was tired. Yeah. Like, <laughs> but that person, I mean, multiple tweets, all caps, where they were tagging people. And I'm like, oh, my bad. Be blessed. You know what I mean? Like, it's just, it's, yeah. it's, it's, it's odd, but that's how it is now. It's like a bar after 1 a.m. Nothing good happens after the third tweet. <laughs> like right. it, that's, that's just where I'm at with, with very few, like with people I know that are in my circle or what. Like I, I don't go past one or two tweets usually on any, even if I'm, you know what, you know what part of this is? I was talking to a younger writer up in kind of mentoring the other day. I was like, you know, the real art form to this is learning to just be content and being right. Mm -hmm. Like if you're right and you know, you're right and you've got the right information, why, why are you going to expend energy trying to convince somebody else that you're right? If you know, you're right, just be content. In it. And people have a hard time doing that on social media, especially in sports, especially in politics, but we need more of that because that's, that's where your confidence comes from. And I think a lot of that arguing stuff is just people that I really think it's either a confidence thing or an attention thing, or they just maybe I think somewhere in the heart of hearts, they know maybe they're not where they need to be on certain issues. I think that's where some of that comes from. Cause like, I just, and I fail at it too, cause I'm human, but I, I try really hard to be like, if I know I'm right, I'll say that I'm right. I'll write me 1800 words on it and publish it somewhere. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and then I just let it stand for itself. You know, you just got to let, you know, late great Denny Green, it, it is what we thought it was, you know, just let the score be what it is, let the stab be what it is. And you just got to kind of live with it at some point, don't we? Yeah. You know, I, that is one of the, the blessings of being able to write is that you can get that thought out in, in such a fashion where you can express yourself fully and not in the sloppy fashion that can happen on social media. I, uh, I had an uncle that used to say, if you're arguing with the fool, there are now two fools. <laughs> so I think yep. that that's one thing that I, I try to take in whenever I have an interaction with somebody. I have a, a sports group where a guy is constantly just trying to throw stuff out. And I'm like, dude, I know you know more than this to be coming at me. So I've gotten to my point where I just have to ignore it. I just scroll past it. That's that's what yeah. we don't do enough of. We we feel like we have to engage with everything and, and react on everything, despite having little to no information on most of it. <laughs> Yeah, the country fight hillbilly version of that was um 
A lot of wisdom in that, my friend. Mm -hmm. This is great. We need to do this again. Uh, Josh Bogcoller, let people know where they can find you. I follow you on social media. You're on, you have the Triple Zero podcast, but let people know where they can find you and your stuff and uh, more of your great insight and opinions and your non-hot takes, as you like to call them. Well, Andrew, I appreciate you having me on. I look forward to doing it again. Um, You can follow me on Twitter at Josh G. Buck, Facebook page as well. You can also hit up the uh, website, clockersports.com. And then the the podcast Twitter is at three zeros pod. That's at the number three zeros and pod. That's also the Facebook handle. And then, uh, man, I'm there all the time. I'm always sharing my stuff from from my my beats from the Hawks, the Chicago Bulls and the Chicago Bears. So um, check that out. And the podcast is available on all major platforms. Now, usually we try to end these on some kind of because we have to do, you know, we do a lot of heavy topics with mm-hmm. politics and, you know, some really dark stuff sometimes this has been a little lighter but uh i i have to go the other way with you because something historic happened this past week uh i know you're a chicago guy uh i know you're a bears guy i hate to bring this up but it was historic when tom brady shows up on social media with his own bulletin board material before the game and starts talking a little smack you you kind of had to know like uh-oh the, oh. the, this is not a good sign because Tom never talks and like he's out here calling his shot before the game. That hadn't really happened very often. You you kind of had to know, yeah, that that was not going to end well. Oh, oh, we we knew last year. <laughs> we knew when they beat him last year and had him thrown with those four fingers that this was going to come back to bite us. Okay, so there were no there was no misconceptions <laughs> here. We were upset with how it happened, but we all knew what was going to happen. <laughs> Brady's out here cutting a, he's cutting a wrestling promo before a read i'm like oh he's, that's not good he's congratulating aaron <laughs> Rodgers for for cutting us up i'm like oh man and then i don't know if you caught this but peyton manning then congratulated him so like now it's a whole thing between all the great quarterbacks that they're just like chain reaction off the bears like it's bad it's all bad no you know what that is that's that's when you were in school and the one the one guy got in a fight and then you start like Hey, I know he whooped him, but I bet you I can <laughs> watch this. And but they're <laughs> all right. That's the thing. They're all right. <laughs> yeah. I I I hope they give Fields a chance. I do. He I I really hope they don't, you know, car that poor kid. Uh give him some give him he probably doesn't need to be playing on a bad team, but it's so bad uh, now that people I think have he might have a chance, but hopefully they don't kill him. It's so bad now that the majority opinion on Mitch Trubisky has now changed. It may not be that he was good, but it was definitely that he was not done right while in this town. That's a that's a massive undertaking. To get that opinion to change, that just lets you know how how far below the depths this team has actually sunk in, in day-to-day I, I, operation. Yeah, I, I still think if he would have just stayed Mitch and not tried to do the Mitchell thing, he would have been okay. But that's another podcast for another day. But, uh, that's you on my podcast. Josh Buckhalter, you're the best man. I appreciate you. Hey, I'll come on your podcast and take up the Mitch Mitchell debate anytime, my friend. <laughs> we'll have to just do let it. me know. I'll be there prepped up and ready to go. <laughs> Josh Buckholder, you've been great. Uh, thank you for helping me out with some technical issues. You were fantastic, and I appreciate your time, sir. My pleasure. Let's do it again. I'm now joined by Josh Buckhalter of Clocker Sports. Yeah, salute to you, Josh. Thanks for joining in. Clocker Sports, soaring down south. I mean, you write all over the place, man, yeah. but – You've been you've been watching these Bulls, man. I'm happy to finally have you on the show. Let me get your thoughts on Lonzo and his defense, how it's changing the Bulls. It's been great. Uh, I think the best part about this team overall has been how well the new guys have kind of gotten themselves acclimated quickly. All we heard all offseason was how clunky was going to be and how the fit wasn't going to be there and how really, in particular with Lonzo, how he wasn't 
the defender that we thought he was going to be, that he was being sold to us as. Um, they were he's yeah. a he's a help defender. Lonzo's been locking down at the point of attack all season. So well, it's only been a few games, but you get my point. Right, four games. <laughs> um, he's been doing his thing, and I, I'm really impressed by not only that, but his his willingness to turn that defense into offense in transition. And on top of that, with Lonzo, you're getting a true point guard, but the numbers have actually kind of taken the dip for Lonzo Ball. The Bulls have been struggling offensively as a whole, as I was mentioning earlier. Uh, 20th in the league in scoring. Do you attribute that to probably just trying to figure each other out in the early part of the season, or is this maybe something that we really should look into right now? Uh, well, there's multiple things, actually. So I yeah. think some of it's been Zach's slow starts. When that when he's you know coming on late, there's not as many points being put up. I know it seems kind of funky to think because he's still getting his buckets, but just think how right. much he would have if he got started <laughs> faster. Um, on top of that, the Bulls bench is actually like 26 in scoring, so that's a big problem, and that's why the defense of Lonzo and Caruso has been so, and Javante Green has been so huge, yeah. limiting the opponent's bench and keeping the, the the lead or at least the deficit close. Otherwise, yeah. man, it could get scary real quick if something was to happen to that. Now, one of the things that we've been hearing about the Bulls also, other than the fact that all offseason, well, we don't know how they'll defend. Well, they've come out, they're one of the top defensive teams in the league, fourth in the league in defense as the graphic states. But also one of the things we keep hearing is, well, they haven't played anybody yet. You know, they beat Detroit twice. They beat New Orleans. Well, coming up next, they're going to see New York on Thursday, Utah on Saturday, Boston on Monday. So could this uptick in competition, could this be the chance to finally see the real Bulls and really see what they need to work on moving forward? Oh, I think so. Most definitely. Yeah. Now, to the people saying that they've only played week, you can only play who's on your schedule. You can't exactly. you don't control that. Um, and I'll also say that these guys are professionals, too. And one thing that I think we've noticed more is back to your point about the offense kind of struggling as we've gone on here. I think some of it you see is them having these consecutive wins in a row. You know, it gets tougher and tougher. Yeah. So teams yeah. want to be the one to give you that first L, man. They want to hang that <laughs> on you. So I think you see a, a confluence of, of things happening here where – their offense is, is not bad by any stretch, but you definitely know that it's not near where it could be. Exactly. And when you see them play in half court, I think that's kind of where it shows more. You really only have a lot of high pick and roll with Vucevic. You don't really see the ball swinging around as a lot. As much. Now, let's be honest. Like the last few years, the ball moving might have been good, but it wasn't finding the bottom of the net because of who you had on the team. Now you got guys that can put it at the bottom of the net, but where's the ball moving? So that's kind of the, that's kind of the issue I've noticed with the Bulls. Anything else that maybe you've noticed? No, and actually you're spot on. There was actually a thread on Twitter that I just shared um, where they're talking <laughs> about Lonzo and Caruso have actually had the ball a little bit too much in those down-the-stretch situations. And to that point, I think Lonzo has been kind of quicker on the trigger than I think a lot of us may have expected him to be in those same situations. Now, it comes at a time when Vucevic is struggling down the stretch as well. I don't know which one is the chicken or which one is the egg, but I would bet this, I would bet by the end of the year we see that balance back out and Vucevic take that lead back over where you're seeing him be the more dominant fourth quarter player. I will say that my preference is for everything to start off with a Zach and or I'm not I'm sorry, not a Zach, uh Damar and Vooch pick and roll and Zach running mm-hmm. off the screens off of that because he can get whatever whenever. So like let's say you're running that and nothing works, then you can just give it to Zach and tell him go get a bucket. But I don't think you need to be because we saw him have a, a crucial turnover late in that game that almost cost yeah. the Bulls. Um, Van Vliet swiped it from him, just right. took it out of his hands. And for DeMar to have gone as hot as he got, there was some stretch where he just wasn't touching the ball. And I'm like, hold on, now you don't. So I think some of that's early season stuff, Billy trying to let them play through it and see what happens. So like I said, end of the year, I think everything kind of balances back out. I'm not worried in the least bit. Yeah, I mean, they're off to a great start. They're 4-0. 
But one last thing before we get on the Hawks, you mentioned the bench play. Uh, one thing I noticed is I think DeMar DeRozan is getting a lot more run with like maybe three or four guys off the bench than anybody else in that Bulls starting lineup. So that makes you makes me think about Kobe White. Mm-hmm. Where does he fit when he returns from his uh, shoulder surgery? He is needed bad. Um, <laughs> I was a guy who was saying that Kobe might not, you know, have room in this rotation. But looking at how the the, the disparity between the starting production and the the bench production, like Caruso and Green and and uh, uh, I'm missing. I'm missing one. I know I am. Um, are doing Russo, good. Green, Brown, and Brown are doing well. They, you know, they get you spots, yeah. <laughs> some points and spots, but you can't rely on them consistently. And Kobe, while not consistent, he's definitely more of a threat to score consistently than those guys are. And so, right. on this team, where you can have any one of the three big three, you know, have an off night, and then your other two starters, Pat Williams, isn't very aggressive right now. I'm not really happy with his game. I know he's coming off an injury. I get that, but oh, yeah. too, we need to see some more. Um, and then Lonzo, like I said, sometimes has those moments still where you're just like, come on, Lonzo. <laughs> like, let's, yeah. let's, let's get it together. <laughs> so um, the, the lack of having Kobe in the start of the season has really shown. And again, that's another thing that's just going to make this offense even better once they finally get healthy. Yeah. I, uh, I know I said that was the last thing, but I'm glad you mentioned Patrick Williams. I saw what you wrote. I saw what you wrote about Patrick Williams, man. Hey, I do my research. I do the research. So I saw what you said about Patrick Williams. Uh, how much longer do you do you give him? I mean, I'm with you. I've I've had a few times where I've seen Patrick Williams. I'm like, hmm, that must be the upside we got to wait on. So, uh, so let me. So what what is what's going on with Patrick Williams that you are not that you're not seeing that you would like to see out of him moving forward that makes you think he'd be a better fit for this team. So I think in theory, Pat Williams is perfect for this team. But mm. in, in actuality, we don't see it consistently enough for a team that has playoff aspirations and not just making it. They want to make some noise. Pat, too often, is very, very quiet. And yeah. he said it himself. By nature, he's not an aggressive player on the court. And I think that's because he has that point guard in him. That's yeah. fine. But on this team, they desperately need him to have some more scoring punch, especially without Kobe there. And what kind of sealed it for me, what made me have to finally put it out on paper, was <laughs> seeing him go against Scotty Barnes, a player who was mm. compared to him coming out of college and has come out firing. Now, I'll admit, and I do in the piece that you read, Scotty is on a rebuilding team. Pat's got to yeah. deal with some veterans. That's fine. But there's moments like last night where Zach was kind of not having it. Right. He's not really sure. How to, yeah. He's still trying to learn how to close games himself. Pat could have, you know what? Let me take this real quick and go ahead and, put, and stop this little run that they're trying to go on. You don't see enough of those moments to fill in the gap moments. Right. You want yeah. Pat to be the ultimate glue guy. And I just don't see that from him. He's young. He's young. But this team's timeline and his, I'm not so sure, are, are matching up. And, and I figured the Scotty Barnes matchup probably was the difference between because I thought Scotty Barnes looked good. Very aggressive. 13 points in the game last night, went right to the rim, even in the loss to Dallas. I mean, he got he put the ball on the deck, went right at Luka a few times. Patrick Williams, maybe you'll see some four for 12s, some eight for 12s. You know, it's up or down. So so I figured that Scotty Barnes was kind of the key for what brought that up about Patrick you Williams don't, for you. You don't even see Patrick Williams take double-digit shots sometimes. He's taking yeah, four, exactly. five, six shots. Like, we need you to do more than that. It's, like I said, yeah. this bench is not built to score other than Kobe. So even when Kobe comes back, you really, really – and as I pointed out, they're small. So you're yeah. giving up size. You got to score. Everybody has to contribute on offense, and he's just not doing that enough. He's efficient when he does, but he doesn't mm-hmm. do it enough. To your point that the Bulls are small, last in the league in rebounds. Uh, the Atlanta Hawks, I know you write for Soaring Down South. The Atlanta Hawks, 
112-104 win over the Detroit Pistons. Trey Young leading the way. But uh, I'm not going to hold you, man. I'm here to talk about Cam Reddish. I'm ready for him to take that next step, man. He's looking good. 18 points uh, per game so far to start. But that spot of three has been on point so far this season. Thoughts on Cam Reddish. How can he help Atlanta take that next step in the East? So Cam is, was where Pat Williams is now. You kind of saw it, but it was in spurts. It wasn't consistent. And that was the challenge from ownership and management to him this offseason. He's come out firing. And I mean that literally. Um, the first yeah. game, I believe, he was just kind of shooting them up. And everybody's kind of like, okay, hold on, Cam. But then they started falling. And then they kept falling. And now they're yeah. still falling. And now you have to recognize <laughs> that there might be something to this in a season where we know they, they openly talked about it before the game the other night, uh, extending him. Him and DeAndre yeah. Hunter. So Cam knows what's at stake, and if you recall, Cam was one of the highest-rated players going into college at Duke and just happened yeah. to land on the team with a bunch of other star-level players. But a lot of the tape of the draft guys coming out, Anthony uh, Anthony Edwards out in Minnesota in particular, quote or cite Cam Reddish as the toughest opponent they had to defend. It's in yeah. there. It just had to come out, and I think part of it was the the going between the starting rotate, starting lineup and the bench just because of how deep that roster is and how many injuries that they had, things were just up and down with that team. And now you're kind of seeing him getting comfortable in his role. He's comfortable with his teammates. He's comfortable with his coach. And they're just riding. It's it's really paying off for him this year so far. And you mentioned the coach, Nate McMillan. I mean, well-traveled. He was still hooping when I was a kid, when he was on the Sonics. So <laughs> Nate McMillan is the head coach of this team. And, I mean, they're typically a Nate McMillan-led team when you talk about defense, 90 97 points allowed, third in the league. What do you look at for Atlanta? What do you look at with Atlanta's defense? I mean, you're talking about Capella, Collins, and then they're getting better on the perimeter. What are your thoughts on their defense? So we mentioned, we always talk about Hunter Capella. Um, Reddish gets mentioned in the in the perimeter defense. Don't sleep on a guy like Kevin Herter. Uh, McMillan cited yeah. him for, for sticking the opponent's best player in the playoffs last season with good results because of the injuries that they had. Bogdan Bogdanovich is not a great defender, but he plays passing lanes well. Um, Danilo Gallinari. You know, he's he's not quick at all anymore, but he's big and yeah. he's strong. He's still all of six foot ten, right? He's still a big guy. Yeah. Um, I actually wrote about that a few weeks ago that, that they have so much hidden or sneaky two-way potential that in, in so many different lineup combinations that even with Trey Young this season, he's he's averaging a career high in steals per game at 1.3. Like, it's really, really coming out for them. They're buying into what McMillan is selling. And you saw it last season, but now within a, a, a full offseason around him and his staff implementing his principles, it's instantly paying off on the, on the floor as their offense hasn't necessarily been where it needs to be yet. When I look at the Atlanta Hawks, I just look at the, a team that I think this is definitely the prototype of the NBA now. I mean, you got a bunch of guys that can – you got about five guys that can literally shoot the three on that team. You name like all Gallinari, Bogdanovich, Reddish, Herter, Trey Young. John Collins is even getting better at stepping out. John Collins the past few years has had a lot of all goofy off-the-court issues, but last season he kind of got rid of them. And this year, you know, the numbers are down a little bit, but like you said, only three games in. Thoughts on John Collins moving forward? John Collins – I think is 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 finally coming into that. So give a superhero analogy. You got Batman <laughs> and you got Robin, right? I don't okay. think he's a Robin per se. I think he's better than, yeah. than a standard number two. I think he's a guy, he's Nightwing. He's not quite Batman, <laughs> but he's better than, a, than your average sidekick okay. because John Collins can take over games. And it doesn't necessarily have to be with an abundance of points, but it's how he goes about getting them. When he jams on you, yeah. the roof comes off of the State Farm Arena. 
Okay, he sucks the the air out of opposing arena. I've seen it. We saw it happen in New York. We've yeah. seen it happen in Philly. Those are big stages. So you got guys here that change the, the dynamics of a game with one play in Trey Young and John Collins, and then Clint Capella is the eraser. So yeah, it's it's a team that's got really strong foundation, a really strong foundation, and then the pieces around it are put together in a way that really, like I said, when you look at it, it's got so much versatility in it that. Like you said, it really should be the blueprint if it's not already for other teams. John Collins, just I remember the game he had last year against Brooklyn. I think he had like 28 and 24 or something like that. And that was like the turning point. After that, it was like he's just playing with an abundance of confidence. And I really think that's the key for this Atlanta Hawks team. I think overall, what you're seeing, you're just seeing guys play with confidence. You know, a young team, relatively young team. I mean, they got, they've got veterans too with Gallinari and Collins has been around for some years. This is a team that made a run to the Eastern Conference Finals last year. So now, brand new season, you make a nice run. Where do they fit in the grand scheme for you? Where do you, where do the Atlanta Hawks fit into the grand scheme of the East moving forward this year? So my totally, completely unbiased opinion on this, completely unbiased, yeah. no bias, is that All they're right. gonna be they're gonna be a top four team in the East. Now you've okay. had them routinely placed beneath the Miami Heat. We've seen how they've started. Um, you've had them beneath the Philadelphia 76ers. They've they've got they've got some issues. We'll say. Right. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then it gets kind of murky because you've had you've had some people put the Knicks above them. Um, yeah. The Bulls. Bulls are tough, man. That's going to be about I think those two teams are going to be who are going to be battling for that four or five spot this year. Um, I, I got them. I got them about the same. I, I, I see the same thing, like same confidence. But it's like, I don't really know, man. I need y'all to figure it out on one side of the ball or, or, some, or somebody else to figure it out to make you both. Both of those teams go to that next level. I think the Hawks have the edge because they got so far with yeah. Such a banged up team. So you like if they if they met up today, I'm picking Atlanta. I, I sorry Chicago, but I've seen them do it in these type of situations. I haven't seen Chicago do it there yet. So that's the other thing about Atlanta is we really don't know what their ceiling is because we didn't get yeah. to see them healthy. Their starting lineup this year, the young Bogdanovich, uh, Hunter, Collins, and Capella played yeah. 16 minutes together last season. Mm. So this is an entirely new group, essentially, that we're right, seeing out there. Right, not a good there. sample size. <laughs> right, not a really good sample size of greatness. <laughs> you, you can't even grade that at all. So um, I'm excited yeah. to see what they can do because I think that a lot of people are not necessarily asleep, but they just don't know what to expect because, again, you didn't see it last season. And also with Atlanta, a lot of injuries, man. You're talking about uh, DeAndre Hunter. He missed the game last night with illness. Also, Okongu, who I think is going to be big for them in terms of replacing uh, Bruno Fernando moving forward. I think that'll be key for Atlanta as well as they uh, try to recover and make another run to the Eastern Conference Finals this year. But uh, elsewhere in the East, man, I mean, you mentioned Philadelphia, man. We got Ben, we, we got ben Simmons. We don't know what's going on with him in Philadelphia. Miami, I, I mean, I'm not going to lie. I'm on the Miami train. I think Miami might steal the East from Brooklyn and Milwaukee. So let's get your grand, let's get your overall thoughts on the East. Who are some teams in the East that maybe we're not watching out for that we should be watching out for? Uh, I, I'm I've been big on Charlotte since last year. Uh, I love mm. what Lamelo Ball brings to them. Miles Bridges looks like he's ready to take that next step. We'll see if they can do that consistently throughout this season. Uh, but they were a team that gave the Hawks trouble last season. Um, they, they were in the play in. They they just gotta they gotta be more consistent. It's a young team. Um, and then Gordon Hayward, I'm not sure about his his viability on that roster with how they want to play and how they they would rely on him with their style. But when he's on, he's ridiculous. It's it's still crazy to me how how good of a scorer he yeah. is. 
And it all just comes back to LaMelo and how much of a difference he's made for that franchise. Mike finally hit on the pick, man. Like, it took Mike some time to hit on yeah. the pick. <laughs> it took forever, man. <laughs> but he finally hit on a pick. And I, I think LaMelo's a superstar um, right there. He's right on the verge of superstardom. They just got to continue to put some more pieces around. And that's one, though, that I think could make that Hawks-level run to get to the playoffs a higher seed than anybody would even expect them to make uh, coming this postseason. Yeah, it took Mike 20 years and two stops, but he finally got it right, man. He finally got the pick right. And also, shout out James Borrego, man, doing a great job with a relatively young team, man. You talk about LaMelo Ball, uh, Miles Bridges, and then Kelly Oubre. Uh, Cleveland is a team that's been standing out to me. They won last night against Denver and also beat Atlanta on Saturday. I like what I've seen without a Colin Sexton. I know uh, Darius Garland didn't play in the game against Atlanta on Saturday, but they have a, they, I feel like they have an overcrowded front court that's just filled with talent, but somebody's going to have to go at some point. So what are your thoughts on Cleveland, maybe? They're interesting to me because I agree with you that they have a, a very talented team, but it's very oddly built. Um, running Lowry Martin yeah. out there at the three has got to be one of the oddest things, but they're having some semblance of success with it because they're just so long. Yeah. You know what I mean? They bothered. They really bothered Atlanta on Saturday, and I think that was what led to that loss is because no matter where you go, even if Lowry doesn't move like a, your standard three, he's seven feet tall. <laughs> you know what I mean? You got to go yeah. a ways to get right. around him. And so um, – I don't know how much staying power it has, but it definitely is fun to watch because they go out there and they compete, man, every night. At the top of the Eastern Conference is the Bulls and the Hornets, but everybody's thinking it's going to be Bucks, Nets, or maybe Heat or Sixers. Thoughts on those four teams? I mean, we've already talked Ben Simmons, so pretty much Bucks, Nets, and Miami. What are, what are your thoughts on those, on those three teams? Uh, so I'll start with Miami, last one first. Uh, Miami, to me, is a talented team, but they're an aging team and a team that could struggle for offense if a couple guys aren't on that night. Um, they're tough, though. They're going to make mm-hmm. you work for every bucket that you get. So I think it'll always come down to who is able to shake free of that, who's able to survive that that battle that they're going to put you through. Because, again, they're going to have games yeah. where I think they struggle to score some. And and we already seen Lowry has dealt with some kind of injury here to start the year. That typically doesn't improve as the season goes on with age. Right. So, um, that's them. Milwaukee? Milwaukee's kind of scary because, and I mean that in a good way for them. Um, they're already yeah. talking about repeating and how they don't get no respect. And I'm like, hold on, fam. Like, people have been <laughs> celebrating you all offseason. What do you mean no respect, Rodney? Right. Like, they're, they're ready. And, and it starts with Giannis. You know, he's been working all offseason. He's talking like, you know, uh, they, they, now you want to challenge yourself again to do it again. And you got Drew and Chris went over there and won a gold medal. So they're inspired to play better. That's a tough one. That's a tough one. And then Brooklyn. They need Kyrie more than anybody wants to admit. Yeah. For as much as I love what Katie and Harden bring, and I think one could carry you through the regular season, another could carry you through the postseason, but there's going to be those moments where you need Kyrie, and those moments matter. And honestly, yeah. I think that them and Philadelphia could solve each other's problems. They would just swap Ben and Kyrie, but <laughs> that apparently is not on the table because I guess Katie poo pooed it or whatever. Like, okay, that's fine, but. They're going to need Kyrie. Like Kyrie, mm-hmm. in case people don't know, is really good at basketball. <laughs> yes, he is. And, and he's yeah. one of the most dynamic ISO scorers in the game. And so without him on the floor, you see how hard has struggled somewhat to start the year. KD's going to do what KD does, but he can't do it alone. And that's why they built the team the way that they built it. To act like they don't need Kyrie now, to me, is kind of silly. And look, I like Patty Mills. He's looked good. But he's not Kyrie, man. He's not like, Kyrie. Patty Mills has been, don't get me wrong, because I would love to see Patty Mills actually start. Brother. But at the, 
Nicholas Claxton, I mean, his inability to create shots is going to cost him down the stretch. So you're going to have to need, you're going to need LaMarcus Aldridge. You're going to need Blake Griffin. You're going to need Paul Millsap to try to kind of offset Kyrie's absence. So for Brooklyn, I'm right there with you. It's all going to come down to Kyrie. I just think Miami's ability to shoot, that might allow them to steal the East. And also Milwaukee, you have some of those guys that went overseas. Mm. It might wear them down. But when I, when I began the season, I picked Nets Lakers. Now you don't have to make a pick to come to be in the finals, but if you want to feel free to go ahead. So I will, I said Nets Lakers to start the year. Um, I'm going to ride with that for now, but I'm going to tell you that I am worried about all the stuff that's happening with the Lakers already. Like I feel like they'll fix it and they'll get it corrected. But I mean, like, can you get a week without something like dang, Can it not be something for one week, even in a good game from Russell Westbrook? Um, he had eight turnovers. You know what I mean? Like there's just something there that they always kind of have to grind out, but that is the road to a championship is overcoming those obstacles. Um, I'm not sure there's any team that's more talented than them. Honestly, uh, Denver won't have Murray for, a, I don't know if he'll play at all this year, to be honest with you, depending on how their season plays out. Um, Utah is a team that's always tough to me, but I've, I've never fully bought into them as a championship contender. Yeah. Um, good luck to Phoenix. Yeah, I'm with you. Last year was the most, last year was the most con- con- uh, convincing Utah team I thought we ever had last mm-hmm. season when we started. <laughs> but, but hey man, 2-0 league. That's hold. right. <laughs> there you go. And that's why I, d- I never will believe it. <laughs> So, all right, I, I said Lakers Nets. So, you Lakers Nets too? Yeah, I'm going to have to go with it for at least the next month until I see something different. <laughs> Give me till Christmas. We got to come back at Christmas and we'll talk about it. Yeah, you most definitely, man, because I'm with you on that. This year, you really don't know, man, because Ben Simmons, Kyrie, I'm like, mm, Kawhi, I don't exactly. know. Exactly. I, I wanted to buy, bite on the Lake, on the Clippers again, but I'm like, all right, Kawhi's out with the ACL. So, yeah, everybody's, I don't really know, man. Everybody's talking about we got to give Paul George's flowers, but I'm like, listen, it's still the same. There's not a lot of pressure on him this year's situation. So, I, I, he's doing well. He's killing. Like, Paul George yeah, is murdering is. right now. But does anybody expect him to win anything? <laughs> not without Kawhi. So we're still <laughs> so we're not getting any answer to the question that we have about Paul George for the past several years. So I he's killing though. He he definitely is, man. He definitely is. And also, man, I thank you, man. You've been killing with all this writing you're doing, man. Go and promote all I can't promote all of them because I can't remember all of them, bro. I know I know Soaring Down South, Last Word, Clock of Sports, Triple Zeros. There's like four of them I forgot too. So. <laughs> <laughs> man, you got uh that you named three made most of them, and then you also got yeah. Pippin' Ain't Easy with the Bulls articles. Um yeah. just trying to stay active, man, and make this thing work. You know how it goes. It's a it's a grind. Most definitely, man. It's most definitely a grind in this media industry. Final thoughts, man. Final thoughts on whatever you want, man. Cause you know, I just let my guests say whatever they want for the last like two or three minutes. Whatever you got, bro. So let me just say this. Uh, for the Chicago Bears and their fans, <laughs> oh, I want you to look at what you're seeing with the Chicago Bulls and take to note how we got here. Um, Ricky O'Donnell, SBN Ricky on Twitter, did a really good piece on how fans drove that change by withholding their dollars and withholding their cells from going to the stadium. And that made the owner take notice. And now look at what we have, a very promising product that we haven't had this kind of excitement since Rose got hurt, like since he got traded away. I'm not even playing. Even with the three alphas, I don't think we were this excited. Um, so take keep that in mind as the Bears are trying to, you know, they tried to dupe you with the new quarterback, right? Shiny new quarterback. They're trying to dupe you with the new stadium. Keep your eye on the prize. It's the same people in charge. This is why you're getting the same results on the field. Okay? You want to have that change? You're going to have to go about it the same way as Bulls fans did because they got that change. Make it happen. And there you have it, man. That's Josh Buckhalter, man. He writes for 
he wrestled Soren down south, and I'm not gonna even try to name all of them. We just went over this, but thanks, bro, thanks, my brother, for coming on the show, man. Salute to you, positive energy to you. you know I'm gonna have you back on, man. We oh, talk halts, we gonna talk whatever, man. So sure. I appreciate you for coming on, man. Remember, World Class Who's Podcast available on Twitter at WCHP Media, Facebook, World Class Who's Podcast, and then you see available on all streaming platforms: Anchor, Apple, Google, and Spotify, and YouTube. I'm Chris Rouse. He's Josh Buckhalter. This has been another edition of the World Class Who's Podcast. Salute to you, Josh, for coming on the show. Salute to you for tuning in, and we out, man. Y'all have a good one. It took Mike 20 years and two stops, but he finally got it right.